Welcome to Herrick Does That, a podcast on current legal topics, relevant industry and legal trends, and significant developments in the law, brought to you by the attorneys of Herrick Feinstein. I'm Erwin Kishner, Herrick's executive chairman, and I want to thank you for joining us. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jennifer Polovetsky. I am the co-chair of the Eminent Domain Practice at Herrick Feinstein. And I'm here today with my partner, Philip Sanchez, and we are going to talk about the Penn Station redevelopment project. A lot of questions have been posed to us since the Public Authorities Control Board approved this project a few weeks ago, such as when is it going to happen? What does this mean? What is eminent domain? Am I going to be taken? What is a public use? All of these things. So I'm going to ask Phil to talk about the first question that was posed to us, and that is, can someone please explain this redevelopment and what is it all about? So Phil, can you help us out here? Thanks, Jen. I am Philip Sanchez, also co-chair of the eminent domain practice for Herrick Feinstein. Just to start, the Penn Station redevelopment is one of the largest redevelopment projects that we will see in New York State in a generation. Uh, they're going to radically reconfigure the area around Penn Station. There's going to be a number of new office towers going up, and a number of the low-rise buildings that are currently there will no longer be there. This will dramatically change Penn Station, its access ways, the number of people living and working around Penn Station. It's one of the most transformative projects that New York City is going to see, like I said, in a generation. The amount of Businesses displaced will be in the hundreds. The amount of people displaced will probably be in thousands. The buildings that are going to go up are going to dramatically redefine New York City's skyline. The Penn Station itself will be will go from a less than desirable building to a much more beautified project uh, akin to what you see when you go to Moynihan Station now, as opposed to when you walk through Penn Station currently, and it is not exactly the most beautiful building. It suits its purpose, but it has long been uh, overutilized and it does not have the spatial needs that the city of New York needs with a number of people coming in and out of that site. The redevelopment itself is going to encompass several blocks around Penn Station. So no, a number of those buildings were going to be coming down and new office towers will be going up. The uh, governor Hochul had redesigned the tower the heights, but they're still going to be the same number of buildings they won't be as high but there'll still be the same number of buildings going up on that site to the business owners that are currently there a vast majority of them will be displaced i believe over 450 businesses will be displaced again it's a transformative project for the city of new york the city and the state have the ability to fund this the funding came from the federal infrastructure project development program, the largest infrastructure spending since the 1950s interstate highway system was founded. Uh, this is part of the one of those projects under normal circumstances in New York. Just one project of this size is transformative. The first section of the Second Avenue subway that went from 96th Street down to the 60s had a huge impact in the city. A normally a project of that size, just one of them has a dramatic impact on the city. This project is really massive. We're talking about several city blocks that are gonna be completely redesigned and reconfigured. We're talking about Penn Station being completely redesigned. A project this size, like I said, is transformative for the city. It's akin to when they first built Grand Central Station. Why is it needed? What is public use? I will turn that over to Jennifer at the part of the discussion. 
Thanks, Phil. Um, we do get this question quite a bit. What is the public use uh, of this? Why is it needed? So what we need to understand is public use in the context of eminent domain. So the ESD, the NTA, especially the ESD, they have held several public hearings. They've not held the eminent domain public hearings yet. But they've held several, several public hearings where they have identified the properties in the general project plan. Those properties are slated for acquisition by eminent domain. What is eminent domain? Eminent domain is the taking of private property by the government for a public use. So therein lies the question, what is a public use? Well, after Kelo versus City of New London, the United States Supreme Court decision, uh, basically everything is a public use. Alleviation of urban blight, building a school, building a roadway, and in this case, improving transit. So the Penn Station redevelopment is not only just about alleviating urban blight, which the area around Penn Station is inarguably blighted and needs to be redeveloped, but it's also about expanding the railway. The gateway portion of this project, it's called the Gateway Project, envisions adding Long Island Railroad tracks into Penn Station, where the Amtrak station is. That's a separate part of the project, but that is going to require the acquisition of some of the properties in the general project plan. So if anyone says, well, what is the public use? Why are you building office buildings where there were residential? Well, the public use is the alleviation of urban blight and the expansion of transit. And whether people agree with it or not, once the eminent domain hearings do happen and all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and everything is published and the determination findings are published and served and everything and the time to appeal it is over, even if somebody did appeal it um, within the time frame, they would have to show that the alleviation of urban blight and the expansion of transit and the rebuilding of a transit hall is not a public use. And under the law, that would be very, very, very difficult to prove. So in the sense that people are asking, well, maybe this won't go through because maybe, you know, it won't be deemed a public use under current United States law and New York state law, it is deemed a public use. Then the next question arrives, well, can I use a regular attorney or do I need an eminent domain attorney? Why do I need an eminent domain attorney? Why can't I just use my regular attorney? I'm going to let Phil talk about that one. The eminent domain in New York State, specifically eminent domain in New York State, has a lot of idiosyncrasies. Under normal real estate transactions, you come to an agreement on price, you go to a closing, you transfer the deed, you transfer the title, there's a wiring or there's a check issued, and it's it's pretty seamless and smooth. Everything in eminent domain is in reverse. Everything's on its head. Nothing that happens in a normal real estate transaction happens in an eminent domain transaction. And a lot of times, and Jen and I have come across this in our 23 years each of practice, a lot of times you have regular attorneys who think they can handle an eminent domain case. And once they get a little way into the case, they realize this is way beyond what I expected. Everything that happens in a normal real estate transaction is in reverse. What, what starts out in eminent domain as a real estate transaction very quickly shifts into litigation. And a general real estate attorney who is not familiar with litigation will be way out of their wheelhouse in terms of dealing with this. The, the clients need to understand, the attorneys need to understand that eminent domain has its very specific rules. The eminent domain procedure law is very specific as to what must happen and when. In order to file a claim, you have to have 
specific things set up specifically for a fixture claim. There are two claims in eminent domain. One is for the real estate, the real estate being the value of the building. The second claim the tenants have is for the fixtures, meaning the value of what they installed necessary to operate their business. There are two separate claims that one come out of two pots of money and that everyone in those in the Penn Station project has access to this. Every building owner has access to their own pot of money. Every tenant has access to their own separate pot of money for their trade fixtures. And that is very different from what would normally be expected in a real estate transaction when you're buying or selling a building and the tenants really incidental to that. Yes, their leases come into play, but they don't have any concerns with the value of the issue. Whereas eminent domain, there's a tremendous value to all the trade fixtures in for say a pizzeria or a bar or a restaurant or a large warehouse or even a school. The number of trade fixtures is massive. In many of those cases, you have hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in trade fixtures. A normal real estate attorney or a normal litigator will simply not know all the idiosyncrasies. There are so many from who you need to serve the claim with, how the claim needs to be filed. There's a certain time frame, and the time frame is not statutory. It's actually laid out in the notice of acquisition. It lays out the time frame, and that's up to the judge. In some cases, you have judges who will give 90 days to file what could be a 100-page claim. In other cases, when you're filing against the state of New York, it's three years across the board, and you have to be very careful because embedded in the original documentation will say how many days you have to file the claim, and when it has to be filed and who it has to be served upon. Those are part of the idiosyncrasies of eminent domain. There are many others in terms of what the client needs to do, how long they need to stay at the location, how long they can stay at the location. This is why when Jen and I meet with clients, we always say to them, yes, we will stay in contact with your regular attorney, we'll keep them up to date. But a lot of times, 25 or 30% of the way into the litigation, into the case, the regular attorneys say, look, I don't know what you guys are dealing with. I don't know what you and Jen do, but this is way out of what we do. And I'm just really going to turn everything over. And we have a lot of attorneys in the beginning who want to be involved. After a couple of hundred emails, they say, can you remove me from this? I don't know what's going on. Can you and Jen just handle this all the way through? This project is so large and encompasses so many buildings and so many businesses. Why is it such a massive project? I will turn that over to Jen as to what, how big it is, what they're doing, the scope, and how it's going to change Penn Station. So we've talked about that a little bit. Thanks, Phil. Um, I think we've established that this is definitely a massive project. I just want to touch on your point about why you need an eminent domain attorney, not a regular real estate attorney. Um, a lot of times, your regular real estate attorney may leave money on the table. As Phil discussed, there are definitely a lot of idiosyncrasies in eminent domain. Um, for example, when you're filing a claim against the state, um, it's in a different court. It's not in the Supreme Court. It's in the Court of Claims. And you have to file a claim within a certain amount of time. Otherwise, you lose interest. Um, you get interest, say, you know, for the first couple of months, and then the interest stops, and then the interest starts again when you file the claim. And there's there's a lot of things that are in the eminence domain procedural law, but also there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of case law on eminent domain that a lot of people are not familiar with because they don't practice eminent domain, and that's fine because we do. And 
thankfully, we are in a position to help people. So um, the eminent domain or the condemnation bar, as we like to call it, is a very small bar. It's really a handful of lawyers who practice in this area. And it's a handful of judges because in the boroughs, you know, basically the judges are assigned um, and it's the same judges. So it's the same practitioners appearing before the same judges time and time again. And it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, because everybody knows each other and everybody is somewhat collegial. I mean, we'll, you know, try to kill each other in court, but, you know, we always do try to work things out um, afterwards. So Herrick, I would say, is uniquely poised to help people affected by the Penn Station Project because we have an eminent domain practice. And there's not a lot of firms in the city that have an eminent domain practice. So our, you know, my parting piece of advice to anyone who is listening is make sure that you hire an eminent domain lawyer. Otherwise, you might be leaving a lot of rights and a lot of money on the table. And with that, I will conclude. Thank you, Phil, for joining me today. Thank you very much for joining us for Herrick's podcast, Herrick Does That. To learn more about our firm and to listen to additional recordings, please visit us at www.herrick.com.